Welcome to this month's Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here on KDLL 91.9 FM Kenai Soldatna, listener-supported public radio for the central Kenai Peninsula. As always, thanks to Recess Duty for playing us in with our theme song. As always, let's start with beer news. The 2022 Kenai Peninsula Beer Festival was held on Saturday, August 13th at the Soldatna Regional Sports Complex. Girdwood Brewing took the People's Choice Award for Best Beer with its Funkberry Pie. The second annual Alaska Craft Brew Festival Summer Edition is being held today, Saturday, August 27th, in Anchorage at the Delaney Park Strip. The fest will feature live music, food trucks, and over 40 breweries. The day session is from noon to 3 p.m., while the night session is from 6 to 9 p.m. Cooper Landing Brewing Company is getting close to having its new canning line up and running. Soon it will be offering its beers in cans at package stores around the peninsula. Arco's Brewery in Palmer is planning to discontinue bottling its beers due to problems obtaining new bottles. It will focus strictly on producing kegs to support its draft accounts. Due to staffing issues, Kenai River Brewing Company is now closed on Mondays. The Talkeetna Brewfest is back. It will be held on Saturday, September 17th from 2 p.m. to 6 p.m. in Talkeetna at the Denali Education Center building, formerly the North Susitna Institute. The Talkeetna Brewfest is a fundraiser for the Denali Education Center and the Brewers Guild of Alaska. The festival is taking place at DEC's Talkeetna location, 22510 South Talkeetna Spur Road, which is just two blocks from the Sheldon Arts Hangar where the festival has been in the past. There will be around 20 Alaska breweries in attendance, bringing all their favorite local beers. There is also a concert at the Sheldon Community Arts Hangar later in the evening for those that want to keep the party going. Tickets are $65 and available online. On Sunday, August 14th, the 2022 Brewery to Bathroom race took place. This fun event covers the grueling 0.5-kilometer course from Kenai River Brewing Company to the public bathrooms at Soldotna Creek Park and raises money for the American Cancer Society. That's it for this month's beer news. Up next, we'll have our first interview with Sam Watkins, the brewer from Valdez Brewing. This is Drinking on the Last Frontier, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. Calling all KDLL listeners. Would you like to have a direct voice into what you hear on the air? KDLL is seeking members for its Community Advisory Board. 
The CAB meets quarterly to gather public input and evaluate how well KDLL programming meets the needs of the community. If this gets your ring of approval, contact Jenny at KDLL at info at kdll.org or 283-8433. Sam, how are you doing today, sir? Oh, we're doing great. It's a uh, cloudy, rainy, pretty average fall day here over in Valdez. Yeah, about the same here in the Kenai. So tell everybody about Valdez Brewing. You guys have been open for quite a bit now. What, two years? Yeah, we're coming up on year number three. On Our anniversary is November 30th. So we're uh, definitely working hard to get some special beers ready for that. We're also working on putting together a little Oktoberfest celebration. That's going to be towards the end of September. I've got a fest beer in the tank that I'm very excited about. Well, speaking of fest, you guys were here for the Kenan Peninsula Beer Festival a couple weeks ago. Oh, we love coming to these festivals. I went to the Juno Festival last year and had a great time. We've done the a uh, couple in Fairbanks now. This was our first over in Kenai. Always a good trip to uh, visit the peninsula. Well, great. Hopefully, we'll maybe we can con you to come back in February for the uh, Frozen River Fest. That one's always fun. Nothing like an outside beer festival in February. I've heard nothing but good things about that festival. I've never actually been, but... Everyone that I talk to says it's a great time. Well, great. For those uh, like myself who haven't made it to Valdez Brewing yet, why don't you describe your setup, tap room layout, how many taps do you have, that kind of thing. So we have a big space here in Valdez. It's about a 2,000 square foot building split down the middle. Half is the brew side. Uh, we've got these nice big windows that you can see what we're doing, what we're working on. The canning line is really featured in those windows for sure. And then on the other side, on the taproom side, we've got a fantastic space, room for almost 100 people, rotating beers. Usually I've got 10 beers on tap, two seltzers, two sodas, as well as a couple non-alcoholic beverages that um, my, my staff rotates through, and they do a great job with that. So on a cloudy, rainy day like this, we've got a couch and comfortable seating area with a uh, wall-mounted fire display it doesn't put out any heat but it looks nice and cozy but then on our nice sunny days we've got a patio with 12 tables outside and just a really good location to soak up the sun sounds beautiful can't wait to visit it you mentioned your canning line where can people find your beers if they want to try them you know we are constantly expanding where we take cans as well as kegs in the Anchorage market and the Fairbanks area. Currently, we have kegs in a couple places in Anchorage, including Tent City Tap House, Palmer Ale House, Hearth Artisan Pizza. You can find our cans at La Bodega, as well as Aurora Nights, which is a newer liquor store that just uh, recently opened up. And man, I dropped off so many cans last time to La Bodega. We dropped off some of our blackberry milkshake IPA, our manganata, which is a chili mango beer, as well as some of our flagships like the Pilsner and the Full Steam Ahead that are fan favorite. What else do you have on tap right now that's interesting? On tap right now, I've got our Silly Billy Imperial Red, which is one of my favorite beers and perfect for this for this weather, I'll be honest with you. Definitely one of my favorites. We've also got the Derby Queen on top, which was brewed for the Women's Silver Salmon Derby, which is a big event over here in Valdez, as well as our Miner's Dream Golden Ale. Kind of lighter selections, those two. 
but nice, easy drinking beers for sure. So what about uh, plans for the near future? I mean, obviously we're, we're starting the big summer season is starting to wind down. How do you guys do things in the winter? Do you reduce your hours? You open the same? How do you guys handle when things slow down in the winter in Valdez there? You know, there's no two ways about it. Things definitely slow down here, just like they do elsewhere in the state. But we try to maintain those hours, the same hours, 12 to 8 every day, to really provide a space for the community to come and have events, get together with their friends, that sort of thing. And I really think that the community appreciates that quite a bit, the reliability and the consistency. So I don't think we have plans on shortening our hours for the wintertime or anything like that. The only thing that might affect that is if I can't find some extra help behind the bar. That was going to be my next question. How are you weathering the uh, the post-COVID staffing issues that just about everybody seems to be having? You know, we're, we're in the same boat. It's tight for sure, but we've got a great crew over here, and everyone really chips in to make sure that things keep running smoothly. Good. So let's talk about the future. You know, SB9 finally got passed. So while it's still a little over a year before it's, or more than a year before it's going to go into effect, have you guys got any plans to take advantage of any of the new licensing rules or anything like that? I know some places are thinking about getting themselves restaurant eating place licenses. Don't think you guys have a kitchen. So are you guys planning to do anything to take advantage of that? You know, there's nothing in the works right now. We're very happy for some of the changes that SB9 is going to implement. Although I'll be completely honest with you, Bill, we kind of feel like it's a bit of a half measure. I think most people do, but it's half, what do they say, half a loaf is better than none. So, There's no two ways about that. We're very excited about the opportunity to maybe have some different events that we haven't been allowed to have in the past as well as potentially having some live music. That'd be great. So what about beers that uh, you've got coming out here in the near future? You mentioned your Fest beer for Oktoberfest. You got anything else in the offing? You guys going to do a barley wine for the Barley Wine Festival in January? Oh, sure. Yeah, we'll always, always got to have a barley wine for the festival. Absolutely. We've got some whiskey maple syrup barrels. We've got some rye whiskey barrels that we are... Some of them are filled and, and aging already, and some of them are waiting for the beer to finish in the tank. I've got an imperial stout that we are actually dealing with today and going to be moving over into barrels tomorrow. So really excited about those barrel-aged offerings, as well as, like you mentioned, that Fest beer. I love a lager, so the Fest mm. beer is really what I'm interested in, I'll be honest with you. Obviously, you're going to have the Fest beer here in post-haste. When do you plan to have the uh, barrel-aged stuff available? So the barrel-aged beers are anniversary beers. So November 30th is our anniversary, and we'll be releasing barrel-aged beers uh, throughout the month of November leading up to that and hopefully have four or five different options ready by the holidays. So anything else special you got planned for your uh, third anniversary here? Third anniversary, you know, Bill, uh, I've got to give you the inside scoop here. We're <laughs> working on doing a pig roast. But nothing's ah. final. Nothing's final quite yet. So I don't want to get the hopes up too high. <laughs> but, you know, my hopes are already pretty high. <laughs> right. Well, that sounds good. Well, hey, Sam, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us. Really do appreciate it. And, uh, you know, congratulations on coming up on your third year. And I look forward to getting over there 
I've had some of your beers in Anchorage, and I really like them and at the Fest, obviously. So looking forward to getting over to Valdez sometime and, and checking things out. Hey, we'd love to have you. Give us a shout when you're heading over, Bill. I sure will. Take care, Sam. Really appreciate it. Talk to you later. Cheers. You too. This is Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here on KDLL 91.9 FM Kenai Soldatna. We'll be right back with our next segment. I'm Dan. And I'm Kelly. We're DOT project engineers. We work on Alaska's roads. Now that you're getting back on the roads, please slow down in work zones so I can give my welcome home committee my monster hugs. So I can play ball with my boys. So I can make my daughter's tea party. I can teach my kids to fish. So I can tell my wife I love her. Please drive safely through work zones. Our families depend on it. This message is brought to you by the Alaska Department of Transportation and Public Facilities. For this month's feature, I thought maybe I'd talk about beer gardens. As I was standing outside Kenai River Brewing Company earlier this month, waiting for the start of this year's brewery-to-bathroom race, I couldn't help admiring the lovely beer-drinking area that they have created. Between the pavilion overhead and the gas-fired fireballs from BAFCO, it's a gorgeous beer garden. So I thought in this month's feature, I might talk a bit about the beer garden. It's an institution with a fascinating history and one that has influenced both European and American drinking habits for many years. Traditionally, beer gardens are open-air spaces where beer is served at rather simple tables, often under trees. Beer gardens are considered a core element of southern German beer culture, but the concept has been copied and modified to fit into any beer-oriented gastronomical environment. While large beer gardens like the ones in Munich only evolved in the 19th century, the roots of the beer garden culture are much older. The oldest legal document regulating taverns in Bavaria was the Lex Bavarii, dated 1244. It first made the innkeeper, defined as the owner of a legitimate tavern, a legal profession. It says that no one should drink wine or beer except in such a legitimate tavern. The text does not mention if these taverns were allowed to have beer gardens, but pictures from the time show people dancing and drinking outside, so most probably it was a custom to also drink in the gardens of such establishments. Before these regulations were established in medieval cities, noble guests and officers would be invited into a burger's home, which preceded the more professional tavern of later times, to have food and drink but lower-ranking people would have been served jugs of beer outside and been encouraged to bring their own food. Up until today, it is still a custom in many Bavarian beer gardens to bring your own food and even a personalized stein. Many medieval towns were granted the right to brew beer, which actually meant that they could sell the beer that was brewed by the town patricians. Patricians were burghers who owned a house made of stone and had the right to vote on the city level. This gave a boost to the growth of, albeit small-scale, brewing industry that developed the beer styles that became typical for the town. These brewers, some of whom but not all were licensed innkeepers, soon began to build cellars on the outskirts of their cities to store and mature their brews. These cellars were a core element in the development of lager beer. If they were kept cold enough, bottom-fermenting yeasts would thrive in them. By the 17th and 18th centuries, some of these cellars had gained popularity as places to drink, especially among college students, as there was always fresh and cool beer at hand. To keep these cellars cool, 
brewers would plant tree varieties featuring large masses of leaves, such as chestnuts, that could substantially lower the surrounding temperature by evaporating water through those leaves. These trees would also provide shade for those sitting off dem keller, or atop the cellar, where the brewer was allowed by law to sell his beer, but not full meals. Eventually, brewers were also allowed to accommodate drinkers indoors. This is why some beer gardens have adjacent beer halls featuring simple furniture and the same limited offer of drinks, that is, beer and not much else. Notable examples are the Lowen Keller and the Ostinier Keller in Munich. Munich's beer gardens became extremely popular in the 19th century. Breweries grew in size and so did their gardens. Today, the largest beer garden in the world is the Hirschgarten in Munich, seating 8,000 guests, with 1,200 in a full-service area and the rest in self-service. They are offered a choice of beers from three different local breweries. However, its fame is challenged by the only slightly smaller beer garden around the Chinese Tower in Eichschlager Garden, serving Hofbrauhaus beers. Both gardens were formerly owned by the royal family of Bavaria and opened to the public in the last years of the 19th century. During the 19th century, the concept of the beer garden was exported to other regions of Europe and, in fact, the whole world, often along with beer from Bavaria. Bavarian-style dark lager was the typical product to be found there at the time. In the large capital cities like Berlin and Vienna, these gardens were often the venue for concerts. Some masterpieces of classical music, including many waltzes by Johann Strauss, were first performed in front of a beer-drinking audience in these popular gardens. By the middle of the century, thanks to a large wave of German immigration, the beer garden hit America. Stanley Barron writes in his book, Brewed in America, that German-style beer gardens were popular in San Antonio, Texas, where in 1856, one-third of the population was German, a designation that included some immigration from both Austria and Bohemia. For New York City, Barron records, quote, the Bowery in New York City became particularly famous for a number of beer gardens that were established on the street in the 1860s. These beer gardens are generally spoken of approvingly because they provided entertainment for simple, hardworking families and offered a wholesome antidote to the corrupt and licentious gin dives or dancing parlors that were also current in New York and other cities. At the beer garden, entrance was free. Barron also quotes Edward Winslow Martin, a pseudonym for James Dabney McCable, who wrote in his 1868 book, The Secrets of the Great City, quote, Beer and other liquids are served out at a small cost. The music is a great attraction to the Germans. It is exquisite in some places, especially in the Atlantic Garden, which is situated in the Bowery near Canal Street. The area east of the Bowery and north of Division was known as Little Germany until the 1870s. In 1871, Harper's Monthly wrote a piece on the Atlantic Garden. Quote, On every side there are family groups, father, mother, and children, all merry, all sociable, all well-behaved and quiet. There is not the remotest danger of insult or disturbance or need of the presence of any policeman. This last quote is of some significance, as at the time the rising tide of the temperance movement was arguing that prohibition was needed to combat the evils of the saloon. 
Alcohol was seen by the Anti-Saloon League as something which men indulged in and were corrupted by, leading them to bring violence and venereal disease into their family home and depriving their children of their financial support. The image of a happy family enjoying a concert in a beer garden on a Sunday afternoon was a fine antidote to the hysterical prohibitionist propaganda. Sadly, it proved to be an insufficient one, and Prohibition put the beer garden out of business in America, at least for a few years. After the end of Prohibition, the beer garden became an all-American institution, made popular again by the famous song, Roll Out the Barrel, performed by the Andrews Sisters. The same tune is played back in Germany with a different text and title called Rosamund. Today, the beer garden is making a comeback in many areas of the U.S., In New York City, the Bohemian Hall in Astoria, Queens, the city's only surviving old beer garden, is once again bustling. It was built in 1910 and on warm days still seats thousands of people under soaring trees. Here in Alaska, given our love of the outdoors, it's no surprise that beer gardens in various forms are extremely popular. Some breweries, such as Kenai River Brewing and St. Elias Brewing, have patio seating. 49th State Brewing, Midnight Sun Brewing, Anchorage Brewing, and King Street Brewing in Anchorage all have rooftop seating, while Hoodoo Brewing in Fairbanks, 49th State in Healy, and Haynes Brewing Company have beer gardens enclosed by a fence. Indeed, the current popularity of canned craft beers in our state is being driven in part by the ease in which they allow craft beer to enjoy in the great outdoors. In short, Drinking beer outdoors is here to stay, at least until summer's over and winter rules again. We'll be right back with our next interview here on KDLL 91.9 FM Kenai Soldatna. Hi, this is Chef Steve Horn inviting you to join me for the reopening of the Blues Cafe Monday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. on KDLL 91.9 FM Starting January 17, 2022. New music, old music, my favorites, your favorites, and any music that is good for the body, mind, and soul. Make your reservations to join me on Monday evenings at the Blues Cafe. Thank you. Hello and welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here on KDLL 91.9 FM Kenai Soldatna. We've got Zach Lanfear, one of the two guys behind Bleeding Heart Brewery in Palmer. Zach, my friend, how are you doing today, sir? Hey, doing well, Bill, doing well. As always, I appreciate uh, the opportunity to come on the show and uh, touch base with the folks down in your neck of the woods as well. Just like, I mean, we were down there for Kenai River Brew Fest, and it was awesome. Hey, I'm glad you had a great time, and thanks for taking the time out of your busy day to talk to us. So, first things first, how are things going up at Bleeding Heart? I was up there in May, and things were looking really good. What's, uh, what's new? So, we are uh, taking over pretty much the rest of the building. Um, Alaska Picker... Uh, retired back in April, and so uh, in May they had a huge auction and selling off everything that was uh, left, and they were out of the building by June 1st. Um, they're, actually, we just had a going-away party for them last night, um, and they are heading to Ohio. So we are inheriting the rest of the building for 
um, the remainder of our lease, which is like another eight years uh, currently. So we are going to expand brewing operations on one side. We're going to expand our seating, uh, keep a little alcove in there with couches, as well as some high tops and some tables. We're also building out a little break room area that um, I can go hide and get some work done. And uh, we can take a little breather and work on the computer and get some stuff done on, on that side. And then in the very front of the building is going to be a little boutique called Wild Haven Co. And so they've already got their website up, wild, wildhavenco.com. It's uh, what they're, the saying is um, thoughtfully sourced goods for the heart and the home. Okay. And so it's going to be little sundries and home decor and house plants and all that stuff at the very front. So we're going to have an element again of that sip and shop and wander around and it'll open up the rest of the building. And, and that coupled with the awning we now have outside, the fence, the green space, the lights, the picnic table. I mean, we've really, you know, we've really come up in the world where uh, you're not drinking a beer amongst the smell of cow feces. <laughs> I don't know. I thought that was one of the charming things about your original location. It was a true farmhouse brewery. So. That, I mean, we put the farm in farmhouse brewery back in the day. I tell you what. Yes, you guys definitely did. So you mentioned brewery expansion. Give me some specifics here. What do you guys, uh, you know, besides uh, floor space, what are you adding equipment-wise? So we currently, with a five-barrel system, We've got four five-barrel unit tanks. Um, our goal is to put in two 10-barrel unit tanks for the Beat IPA as well as the Valley Trash Dirty Blonde. And then we're hoping to pick up a couple of two-and-a-half-barrel fermenters so we can break a batch down even smaller and, you know, mess with the yeast, mess with the dry hopping, mess with the adjuncts. Um, and we expanded. We just dropped another cooler off at the building yesterday and so that's going to be all for distribution and we are looking to move forward with a uh, you know one of those small uh, footprint canning lines uh, i was so going to be 16 uh, ounce pounders that yeah. kind of style that was going to be my next question because you guys have always been uh, bottle guys but uh you know the winds of change seem to keep blowing everybody towards uh, towards cans. So, so you guys are gonna you guys are gonna take a step in that direction as well, huh? Yes, sir. We'll still do the wax dipped bottles for our barrel releases. Mm -hmm. uh, as we, you know, this year we'll have six barreled beers coming out that have all been aging for roughly nine to twelve months. And those will be 22-ounce bombers, wax-sealed, meant to be stored in the cellar somewhere uh, or drank immediately. But for our beer that we'll hopefully distribute uh, locally through, you know, Turn Again and through other places, uh, those will all be 16-ounce pounders. Cool. So what about your kitchen? Uh, when I was there in May, I mean, you had it going, but it was kind of small. You got any expansion plans in that direction? Uh, no, because we built the kitchen uh, in that corner because uh, that's what, like, the diagram uh -huh. was all laid out. So in order to, like, re essentially refab the kitchen or renovate the kitchen, we'd have to tear all of that out and rebuild it somewhere else. 
and we don't have the funds for that. Oh. So we're just going to keep running the uh, kitchen that we have, and um, it's it's been going pretty well so far. They the kitchen can handle up to like thirty five to forty tickets. We have increased our chef staffing, so now we have three chefs as well as a dish pit and a floater and a runner and all that. So we have our executive, and then we have our sous, and then we have our pantry chef. And so they have been able to make that small kitchen work. And all three of them are not real small people, but they are <laughs> they are dancing a ballet in that kitchen. Well, that was going to be my next question is how you guys were handling your post-COVID staffing, if you were having the same uh, – Everybody seems to be short. Everybody seems to be shorthanded. Nobody seems to be able to hire as many people as they want. How have you guys been doing on that front? We've been good. I mean, we've held on to most of our employees. Rick is still our wizard making the meads and small batch historical beers. Uh, you still obviously have me and Stefan doing our parts. We brought Maxwell in almost a year ago, and he's still with us. Michael is still with us. Chef Mason came on from the jump. As, I mean, he helped build out the kitchen. He's still with us. He brought in Cade. We brought in Chef Joey. Like, we actually, unfortunately, had to let a couple people go because we're now entering into the slow seasons. Yeah. And we just, we won't have work for some people, you know. And so they're going to be floaters. We're going to keep them uh, on call if necessary, if we need them for something. We'll give them a call and, and have them come in and step in. So what's your plans for, uh, as you say, things, we, you head into the slower season, things slow down. Are you guys going to reduce hours or are you going to hold what you got? What's your, uh, how you guys? We'll probably reduce hours. We normally drop Tuesday um, after Christmas for about three to four months until our anniversary. And then we will maybe adjust our actual open hours. But right now, we're, we're just going to keep doing what we do until we feel like we can't anymore. Yeah. Well, like I said, it's, the staffing issue has been tough. Just, up, just down here, Kenai River has, has uh, announced they're closing one day a week. That's not something they've ever done before, but they just feel like they have to because of uh, staffing. You know, they, they don't want to burn their people out that they have by trying to, to run them too hard. Oh yeah. We've been doing pretty good with staffing as of, you know, as of right now. Mm -hmm. And we just keep putting, if people ask, Hey, are you guys hiring? We just keep their stuff on file and mm -hmm. let them know that we'll be in touch if we need somebody. So, okay. so I know congratulations are in order because I just saw the, uh, the, uh, announcement a week or so ago that you guys had finally gone over the top for the 25 K that you needed oh, Is that yeah. right? for the lights. Yeah, that's right. So. Yeah, we officially uh, we had over, I mean, almost 200 people donate uh, for the new lights for the tower. And we broke the um, broke our record and or the, the donation request amount. So we are moving full steam ahead with those lights. Uh, we'll have a delivery here shortly. Explain to our listeners what we're talking about here, because they may not be uh, familiar with what we're lighting up. So six years ago, Kelly with Alaska Picker, myself and Stefan, all went up on the iconic water tower there in downtown Palmer and struck some Christmas lights for Colony Christmas. It was such a huge uh, success. People were all excited about it. Photos taken. It 
kicked off the colony day or colony Christmas parade. People were, were jazzed. And so we added a few more, a couple of years later, we ended up doing the legs. Um, and we had a huge windstorm last winter and it ripped most of the lights off of the tower. And so this year we thought instead of trying to Clark W. Griswold, another 300 feet of lights and uh, extension cords, we would look into the state of the art RGB uh, or RGD diode um, all weather lights. And we found a company, we got pricing, and it was $25,000 was their quote. And so we started a GoFundMe and put out a video and said, hey, this is what we want to do. We want to relight this Palmer water tower with high-density, high-output Christmas lights. They're going to cost $25,000. If you can, go ahead and give. And we had people come out. We had businesses come out. We had sponsorship from other like like the federal credit union and mta and everybody came out and said hey we want to give money to this program to this project and so it was just a really neat experience to see the community come out and back this project uh basically unsolicited we said we are going to do this we will figure out a way to raise twenty five thousand dollars we hope that people will get involved and do it all with us you know we want it to be a tower lit by a community we want everybody to be able to drive by and go hey i was a part of that i paid for some of those lights and then businesses started to get involved and were like, we also want to partner with you. We also want to be a part of this. And it has been a super cool thing to bring community together. Yeah, I, I think that's a, it was a great idea. And obviously, a lot of other people thought the same. So they've jumped in to support it. So before we let you go, what have you guys got coming up in the near future as far as new beers, beer releases? Well, I mean, I don't know if you heard, but Talkeetna Brewfest is back on. Yeah, I heard. And so I am very excited to go back up to Talkeetna, have a good time up there, see the town, um, connect with the people that we haven't seen in a few years up there. And then we'll have the Beer in the Garden Festival, which is going on in the Alaska Botanical Gardens. We'll be there. We'll be at the uh, Mighty Matanuska Boo Fest, which is the Halloween-inspired brew fest uh, on the fairgrounds. And then in November, all of our barreled, barrel-aged beers will be coming. We've got a barrel-aged mead. We've got um, a sour, a barreled sour that we did with Cooper Landing. We've got an outdoor fermented or open fermented sour that's uh, been going on outside, uh, outside of the brewery. We've got um, the legendary collaboration that we did with uh magnetic north which we called putin is it uh that has a barrel aged version which will probably be called putin is still it because they're still in ukraine (laughs) so it's timely and that's a barrel aged um essentially a barrel aged like bohemian pilsner imperial bohemian pilsner cool so those will all come out in the fall so we're going to see you down here in February to freeze your tail oh, you off know in the it. cold? You know it. Defy the frost or whatever. <laughs> Defy the cold. 
I'll be there. Good, good. Looking forward to always look forward to that one. There's a handful of brew fests in the state that I enjoy, and coming down there uh, in February and, you know, freezing a little bit is always a good time, actually. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us, man. Really do appreciate it. Bill, I always appreciate the, the call and the community, and just ju- I just enjoy shooting the breeze with you, man. <laughs> You're a good guy. All righty. I appreciate it, and uh, best to Stefan and the rest of the crew up there. And uh, I'll give it to them for sure. We'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Bill. Thanks. Drinking on the Bye. Last Frontier here on KDLL 91.9 FM Kenai Soldana. We'll be right back with our next segment. Howdy, folks. This is Murphy from the Veritas Variety Review. Check us out at our new time, Saturdays, 7 to 9 p.m. every single week for good music, free high fives, and good vibes. Catch you then. Hello and welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier. I'm your host, Bill Howell, here on KDLL 91.9 FM Kenai Soldatna. In this month's beer style segment, I thought we'd talk about coffee beers. It's a well-known fact that we Alaskans love our coffee. Blame it on the long, dark days or the cold winters, but it seems like there's a coffee shop or espresso stand on just about every other corner. So it stands to reason that blending the flavors of coffee into beer would be right up our alley. First, though, a reminder of what coffee beers are not. Coffee beers are not beers to which caffeine has been added. The addition of pure caffeine to alcoholic beverages was outlawed by the Food and Drug Administration in 2010 after underage students were hospitalized after drinking the caffeine and alcohol-infused beverage 4Loco. While the addition of pure caffeine was outlawed, it is still legal to use other substances which contain caffeine, such as coffee or chocolate, as ingredients. Coffee and beer are a lot like beverage bookends. One is typically consumed in the morning and one at night, and on certain days or certain occasions, the two can be flipped. For long-time drinkers of stouts and porters, the taste of coffee is apparent in the brew, even if no beans were used. Thanks to roasted grains, the longer the kiln, the more likely a beer will take on notes of coffee. Coffee and beer are not dissimilar. Both require roasting, be it beans or grain. They offer effects after drinking, due to caffeine or alcohol. Both are widely consumed, have passionate followings, even have their own geek communities. And at first blush, while it might not seem the two have a lot in common flavor-wise, they share many taste similarities. There is no more natural pairing in the world than beer and the coffee bean. The deep roasted flavors of dark beers like stouts, Schwarz beer or black lagers, porter, Doppelbach, and others lend themselves perfectly to this beautiful black bitterness of coffee. To incorporate coffee flavors into their beers, brewers will typically steep the grounds in the cold liquor or brewing water for between 24 and 48 hours, letting the water take on the rich coffee aroma and flavor, and it is then blended with the beer. This cold toddy method is the reason why when you smell a beer made with coffee, it's almost like opening a fresh bag of beans just before the grind. 
Some brewers will use ground coffee in bags, others the beans themselves. Some will have a roaster prepare for them, and others will do it in-house. But what most agree upon is that the cold toddy method works best. This may be in part thanks to the fact that a cold brew method of coffee releases less acid from the beans than the hot method. Less acid means a minimal impact on the overall flavor of the beer itself. Hot brewed coffee added to a beer quickly becomes too astringent to drink, brewers say. While coffee is most often added to dark beers, there are exceptions. Stone Brewing Company released Dayman Coffee IPA, a collaborative with the Alaman Brewing of Chicago and the Two Brothers Brewing Company of Warrenville, Illinois, in mid-2013. Calling it an intriguing beer, stone brewer Jerry Moyner says the IPA offers a totally different canvas from a stout, and by using citra hops, lemony notes in the coffee both, quote, melded together and really brought out the best of both. The coffee was bright and punchy. Still, if you want to give coffee beers a try, the local examples you'll have to choose from are pretty much uniformly dark. St. Elias Brewing Company offers its fair trade coffee porter on a regular basis, and Kenai River Brewing Company offers its Declination Stout, brewed with beans produced by local Declination Roasting Company. Declination Stout is available on both carbon dioxide and nitrogen. Alaskan Brewing won a gold medal a few years ago at the Great American Beer Festival with its Heritage Coffee Brown Ale. Bleeding Heart Brewery of Palmer has won numerous awards for its Grounds for Divorce Porter, while Girdwood Brewing has its Hippie Speedball Coffee Stout, an oatmeal stout with plenty of roasty flavors from both the grains and the cold steep coffee. If you like coffee and beer, be sure to give one of these local brews a try. Hi, this is Charlissa Megan, known as Truth Is. And I'm Eva Knutson. And, and we, we are, are the Sound Hunters. KDLL is not only just known for its factual information, but its great music from local DJs like us. And we have a new show Wednesday nights from 7 to 9 p.m. So join us as we drag out the old case logic and explore some of our favorite tunes and new-to-us music. Right here on KDLL 91.9. That's Wednesday nights, 7 to 9 p.m. Welcome back to Drinking on the Last Frontier, KDLL 91.9 FM, Kenai Soldatna. We've got an interview with Jeremiah Christian, the brewer from Magnetic North Brewing in Anchorage. Jeremiah, how are you doing today, sir? Good, good. How are you? I'm doing well, doing well. Thank you so much for taking the time to uh, chat with us. So, what's up at Magnetic North? Oh, quite a few things lately. Done a little bit of a expanding, opened two years ago, and buying some larger equipment, uh, adding extra square footage, and uh, we recently purchased a food truck. Oh, cool. So you guys are just planning to park the food truck at your brewery and roll on that way? Yeah, you know, uh, putting a kitchen in the building wasn't really an option, so I got a little creative and... Uh, purchase this food truck and it'll be consistent food outside of uh, the brewery excellent so what kind of food are you guys going with so we got smash burgers and grilled cheese sandwiches and kind of a rotated menu as well excellent so uh tell everybody where you're located at 
Sure. The best way I can say is kind of off of Abbott there, just when Diamond turns into Abbott, uh, kind of by the uh, Home Depot and Seward's Folly, about a block away from Seward's Folly, if anyone's familiar with that. 8861 Gullivan Street. Cool. And what kind of hours are you guys keeping these days? So we're Wednesday through Friday, we're 4 to 8, and then Saturday and Sunday, we're 2 to 8. How's your staffing been? Uh, a lot of people have been really shorthanded here post-COVID, haven't been able to hire. How, how are you guys doing? Well, I got one other guy for the tap room and just uh, one chef for the truck. Is that That's all you um, need is what you're saying? No, not so much. <laughs> uh, I kind of just bounce back and forth. Let's talk about what beers you have on right now. How many taps do you have and what beers have you got? Right now I got 12 taps. I got 11 beers on now, you know, and I'm kind of a kind of a brewer with ADD. <laughs> I got uh, a lot of different styles here that cover a very wide range so that pretty much if anybody comes in, they could find something they like. I've got classic styles like Kolsch and Pilsners to coffee stouts to black IPAs to fruited sours and even some uh, some milkshake beers that are pretty popular. Yeah, that seems to be one of the, the latest fads is the, the milkshake IPAs and stuff like that. I feel like Alaska is a little late to the party on that one. What do you guys got in the offing? Are you going to be at any festivals or any upcoming big new releases or anything like that? We have the uh, the craft brewery festival in the uh, the park strip. Yeah, that's a pretty big one for the for the season, kind of wrapping down the summer. I believe I'm also slotted for the Talkeetna beer festival. I know you were here for the Kenapanisla beer festival. What'd you think? I think that was your first time, right? It was my first time. I thought uh, it was great. You know, the the staff there was probably more responsive than any other festival I've been. Everyone was super helpful, you know, everybody had fresh water and ice. Yeah, it was very well put together. Glad you liked it. If you like that one, you got to come back in February for the uh, Frozen River Festival. Yeah, Bleeding Heart's been uh, giving me a hard time because I missed <laughs> last year. Yeah, oh, it's uh, there's something special about uh, drinking beer outside in February. So, yeah, what are you guys, uh, you guys going to be brewing any uh, special beers for the uh, January festival? Are you going to be doing a barley wine or anything? Yeah, you know, I just bought some larger, a larger brew house, which is going to open up a lot of possibilities for me doing higher gravity beers and uh, maybe dipping my toes into pastry stouts and, and barley wines and some barrel aged stuff. Pretty excited for that. Tell us about your new system. What are you getting? You know, it's still a small system. It's only, I went from uh, having a Ruby Street one barrel system to a Blickman engineering two barrel system. Usually people make a bigger jump than that, but uh, my location's pretty small. So I believe this two barrel is probably the best pilot system that you can buy on the, the market right now. So with that small uh, system, I'm sure you are strictly selling at the brewery. Are you on anywhere or just at the brewery? Just at the brewery for now. I do toss a couple kegs over. I got a buddy at uh, Tent City Tap House downtown, mm -hmm. and when he bugs me enough, I'll uh, bring some kegs over. Well, hey, thank you for taking the time talking with us, Jeremiah. I sure appreciate it. Wish you every success in your expansion plans and look forward to trying your stuff maybe at the uh, the January Beer Festival or uh, if you we can get you down here in February. 
Yeah, look forward to seeing you around TAPS. It's summertime, gardeners, and what better place to talk gardening than growing a greener Kenai? From May through September, Growing a Greener Kenai will broadcast live at 11 a.m. on KDLL 91.9 on the first and third Saturday of the month. You can email us at growingagreenerkenai at kdll.org or give us a call at 907-283-8414 with your questions or to just talk gardening. KDLL, keeping it green on the Kenai. For our last segment, it's time for Beer Gear. On this month's Beer Gear, I've got a little something different to talk about. Rather than a book or a cool new piece of tech, I've got a special new beer. Dogfish Head Craft Brewery in Milton, Delaware has announced the release of a beer called The Perfect Pairing, a collaboration brew with Cabot Creamery that is scientifically engineered to pair perfectly with their sharp cheddar cheese, specifically Cabot Creamery's seriously sharp cheddar cheese. Clocking in at 5.5% alcohol by volume, the perfect pairing is unfiltered and hop forward with juicy citrusy notes of grapefruit and pineapple. Beautiful hazy golden in color, its ingredients include whey from Cabot Creamery, which contributes both a compelling body and a subtle sweetness to the beer. Hitting shelves from coast to coast this month, the perfect pairing will be available exclusively in Dogfish Head's new variety 12-pack of 12-ounce cans called the Off-Centered Party Pack. The Party Pack includes a selection of four hop-centric beers to complement any cooler weather drinking occasion. In addition to the perfect pairing, the Off-Centered Party Pack contains three 12-ounce cans of each of the following beers. 90-minute IPA at 9% alcohol by volume. Inspired by a bowl of soup and a thrift store football game, 90-Minute IPA is the beer that invented Dogfish Head's proprietary continual hopping process by adding small amounts of hops at a consistent rate throughout the beer's 90-minute boil Dogfish created a pungently hoppy yet beautifully balanced brew with rich pine and fruity citrus hop aromas and a strong malt backbone. The recommended cheese to pair with this is habanero cheddar. 60-minute IPA at 6% alcohol by volume. A best-selling dogfish head beer, 60-minute IPA is continually hopped for, you guessed it, 60 minutes with a boatload of intense northwest hops for a bold, timeless flavor. Chock full of pungently citrusy, grassy hop notes without being crushingly bitter, 60-minute IPA is a surprisingly sessionable IPA for the craft beer enthusiast. The recommended cheese pairing with this beer is cracked peppercorn cheddar. And finally, Blue Hen Pilsner at 4.8% alcohol by volume. A crisp and refreshing Pilsner, Blue Hen Pilsner is brewed with only four ingredients, water, hops, yeast, and Delaware-grown and malted barley. Giving a loving nod to Dogfish Head, slight yet mighty home state, the beer's label artwork features the Delaware State bird and a color palette similar to the Delaware State flag. The recommended cheese to pair with this beer is Pepper Jack. Quote, Many folks think of pairing cheese with wine, but beer and cheese pairings can be just as complex and delicious, said Sam Calagione, Dogfish Head founder and brewer. We had a blast working alongside the folks at Cabot to create 
From a sensory perspective, the perfect beer to pair with sharp cheddar cheese. With the perfect pairing and dogfish heads off-centered party pack, we want to open drinkers' minds and palates to the intricacies of beer and cheese and introduce them to the culinary magic that can be found when you artfully combine the two. Well, that's it for this month's Drinking on the Last Frontier. I hope you enjoyed this month's show. Our closing quote this month is from the great Babe Ruth. Sometimes when I reflect on all the beer I drink, I feel ashamed. Then I look into the glass and think about the workers in the brewery and all their hopes and dreams. If I didn't drink this beer, they might be out of work and their dreams would be shattered. I think it's better to drink this beer and let their dreams come true than to be selfish and worry about my liver. Until next time, cheers. Yeah.